John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1069.jb3910, certificate number 27983, Rhinos in Europe. Now, as we know, Rhinos in Europe. As we know, Africa is the cradle of life. Yes. And... It seems to be a theme of Omnibus that it shares its its bounty of animal life as well with the world. We have done entries on Africa giving its hippos to South America, mm-hmm. whether they should be there or not. Africa giving its camels to North America, whether they should be there or not. Giraffes to zoos all around the world? We haven't done an Omnibus about that, but we could. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they, if African zoos, however many of them they are there are if they have like polar bears and wolverines and and uh timber wolves they should they have like a big savanna thing but it doesn't have any actual savanna animals because they're bored they could see a zebra anywhere sure they have those but it's a savanna that's made to look like a northern forest <laughs> it's got a, it's got buffalo it's got like a bald eagle it's a zebra but they put moose antlers on it in hopes that no one will notice. Africa's got a lot of interesting animals, but they don't have all the interesting animals. They have more interesting animals than, you know, I don't want to say than is their right, because good for them. Sure. But they certainly seem to be disproportionately blessed in unusual animals. And uh, the ancients were well aware of this. Mm-hmm. And they oh, were right. And they were fascinated by the stories of... You mean the ancients that weren't living in Africa? Right. When I say the ancients, I mean in classical times. Yes. They were fascinated by the what they the mix of natural science and history and uh, mythology that came to them as far as the wildlife of Africa. They had heard of horses that were striped black and white and uh, camels that had long necks and were spotted like leopards and uh, and some of these animals. I think the mountain gorilla was believed to be a cryptid as late as you know, the the late 19th century. Hmm. Uh, it was found that when mountain gorillas were real, people were like, oh, wow, Pliny wasn't lying about about big big apes. That uh, seems like... Wandering the highlands. 1,900 years more than than was necessary. You, you're saying you would have found mountain gorillas sooner than that. I mean, if so... What year do you think you would have um, decided mountain gorillas were real? When the Portuguese arrived... On the Ivory Coast, 
I think I might have sent a couple of people inland on an exploratory mission. A guerrilla a guerrilla raid, as it were? Among other things. I would have gone looking for... And you wouldn't have been slaving. You would have had more free time because you would be an enlightened visitor. Yeah. You'd be like, teach me your ways, Africa. I'm, I'm a Peter Gabriel type. I hear that there is... Well, no, I would have said, like, I'm looking for Livingston. He's He won't arrive for several hundred years. <laughs> You're a little early. But no, I would say, are there giant... What, what, did, what did Pliny say they were uh, shaped like? Do you remember his description? Uh, I think, he, is he responsible for calling giraffes camel leopards? I don't know what he said about gorillas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a lot to say about rhinoceroses, as we'll see. I mean, Hannibal was able to muster enough elephants right. to cross the Alps, and there are no elephants in Morocco, so he would have had to have gotten those elephants all the way up over the Sahara. How right. Would, how, how did he even do that? Maybe they went around. They went around. That's what it was. <laughs> That's what it was. You had to go around back then. They waited. <laughs> the uh, So if, if today we consider the odd history of Europeans learning about the rhinoceros, we are now, we only have three continents remaining because we're not going to do anything about African animals visiting Africa. That would be ludicrous. Right. But we still need a show about African animals visiting Asia, Australia, and Antarctica. I imagine the Persians were pretty interested in these Giraffes. animals too, right? And, the, and yeah. the Mughals. Yeah, as we'll see, it was typical back then to, uh, for wealthy potentates and panjandrums of all kind to keep a menagerie. And one of the ways you would show off your earthly power to your subjects and your rivals would be the exoticism of the, of the gifts, the animal gifts that were given you. Right, like those guys down in uh, the desert southwest that have a bunch of white tigers in a cage behind their gas station. Yeah, you know, to other gas stations, that really shows that they're the most regal uh-huh. of the uh, of the gas stations on that stretch of freeway. The, uh, I mean, I should note at this point that uh, the original, the initial story of a lot of these animals making it to Europe is not a pretty one. Oh, and dear. I say this because you know we recently did shows about the. The near extinction and then reintroduction of wolves to the American West, and one about the actual extinction of camels in the American West. And both of these stories featured not nice things happening to animals. Wolves got um, shot by hunters. Wolves ate elk. Uh, uh, Camels got mistreated by their cavalry owners and subsequent Maybe prospector owners. I'm 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 only vaguely remembering the shows. I was pretty high. We we haven't even talked about the buffalo or the passenger pigeon. Terrible things happen to animals all the time, and some of them are done by animals to other animals. Um, but there is a certain kind of listener that's not going to want to hear that. If you're a if you're a descendant, well, not of the passenger pigeon because there are none. But if you're a descendant of an elk, if you're an intelligent elk, you're you're going to be scratching your antlers in dismay. Yeah. When we talk so dispassionately about wolves eating your uh, forefathers, and there's certainly a lot of people that you know. Well, nobody. Let's let's be honest. Let's be honest. Finally, everyone after 520 episodes. I'm going to be candid with you, John. I don't like it when people are cruel to animals. Okay. I think we should be. I, I'm just putting this out there, and I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm if I'm being brutally honest. I think people should be uh, kind and compassionate to animals and should not be cruel to them. Well, now I've got our sign here, not compatible with Marxism or compatible with Marxism. Animal cruelty, well, I don't know. What Did Marx or Engels have anything to say about 
about the evil capitalists doing bear baiting in, in London trading squares? The last place I saw somebody with a trained bear in a public square <laughs> was, dancing. Was it a communist country? <laughs> while being whipped was a, a recently former communist country. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't think of Marxist countries as having particularly but maybe stringent that's, animal Maybe that's rights. one of the cases in which they betrayed the ideals of the revolution. Right. As we're often covering on the show. Sure. We've all, never had a real communist country. All the backyard smelters and all the five-year plans and the forced famines. It's all the uh, all know. the many exceptions that, that ultimately prove the rule. Killed millions of Ukrainians <laughs> and several bears. Yes. Ukrainian bears, even. But it's, yeah, and, and the Venn diagram overlaps at all the dead. So I guess our, our, our question whether or not it is compatible with Marxism does not apply here. We're, we're going we're gonna to use this in a separate context. Are you nice to animals or not? But we did have listeners who were uh, annoyed or outraged even that we would talk about bad things happening to, say, wolves and camels without warning people at first. Right. That the entry would include bad things happening to wolves and camels. I think they, they were hurt first. They were sad, and then they went through the five stages of grief. And they finally got to outrage, the final one. Mm-hmm. They got, they, <laughs> After acceptance comes they got to outrage the final Kubler-Ross stage, before internet outrage. <laughs> yeah, they went through, the, one of the new stages of grief is post. Well, I mean, we live in an age where there's justly a lot of uh, a lot more concern about animal cruelty than at any point in the past in which it was, time it was usually encouraged. Why is it just? It was a fundamental point. Why is it just that there is more interest in it? Oh, uh, I you, don't said, know it, you said justly more interest in animal niceness. It would have been just for there to be this much interest all the time. Oh, I see. Uh, I see. Sadly, all, those, all those times that people were throwing sadly, puppies down a well. All that injustice mounted. And finally, we have the uh, making up for it. We have the juster era in which it is not good to... They go to a bullfight. So you're saying in whatever way the rhinoceros appears later on in this show, there is a chance that the story involves not just people loving and cherishing and pampering rhinoceros. No, there is going to be, uh, in the Roman Empire portion of the story, there is going to be appalling cruelty to animals that surprised me, a person who had seen Gladiator several times. There's a lot of appalling cruelty full stop in the Roman Empire. Well, that's the thing. But in by today's standards, we could do a show about Roman soldiers going to bloody deaths and not have anybody bat an eye. What but about if, but Jews if, but, going to bloody deaths at the hands of Roman soldiers? Well, that, I mean, well, that's worse. Yes, worse. But when a horse meets a, a, a death on the battlefield... Of course. Do you know this? Course. Do you know this website? Uh, Does the dog die? Oh, oh, uh, I I like it already. It's just a list of um, you know pre warnings so that you go into a movie knowing if it'll have any of the following things. And I think originally the site was founded to tell you if the dog dies, but now it's got uh, movies can be hashtagged for any number of uh, offensive content. Some of which is the actual you know things you could actually have a traumatic trigger for. You know there are lots of people who would like to know if there's sexual assault in a movie or, you know, for, for, you know, reasons of, of their own mental health. I, but it goes, I punch out of any movie that has kids die in it as a way of, of uh, ramping up the dramatic tension. If you're yeah, killing kids, I, 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 I don't have time for your, plot. I have a real problem with violence against women as a, um, how to make the, how to make the hero mad oh, kind yeah. of a thing. You, what is the R word? 
Because it's here. I just went to Does the Dog Die? And one of the 110 categories is the R word. What if today we said intellectually disabled? Oh, I see. R word. What if there's a movie that used a more antiquated and offensive term? I see. I get you now. But if you scroll down that list, you'll find that this site will warn you if a movie has uh, a clown, if it has someone chewing loudly, if it has a baby crying. They don't like spiders. But here's one I wouldn't have expected. A dragon dies. Yeah, see? See, you wouldn't think like... I mean, if you've, in your past, you have dragon-related trauma, you don't want to see that when you go for a fun night out at the movies. I don't want... I mean, there are a lot of... It'll remind you too much of your childhood dragon dying. A lot of things here that I could get. A horse dies. There are snakes in the movie. You don't want to see that. There are bugs. The fact Um, that we um, all speak the language of mental health very sensitively today is a wonderful innovation, but it has led to a small group of people that will use the language of trauma to describe things that are not, in fact, trauma at all, like... I had to go to a movie with loud chewing in it. Here's uh, here's someone who says they have a crippling fear, fear of stairs, and they hate to see movies where someone falls down stairs. If I had a fear of stairs, I would like to see that kind of movie. I would hate to see a movie where someone uses stairs successfully, mm-hmm. oh, because because right. it would remind me of my own uh, phobias. And also, you know, if you don't like stairs, a movie where somebody falls downstairs is like a public service announcement. It pr- it warns people that they should be like you and have you know, more trepidation about stairs. Some of these, I, I now that I see that see it, I'm I realize I don't want to see that people uh, whose teeth are damaged in the movie. I don't want to see that. None of them are good things. No. Like it's not like, hey, please warn me if this movie has um, a delicious chocolate cake. No, or a, or a happy family playing with those Fourth of July sparklers. Oh, this is different though. A child's dear toy is destroyed. Wow. So if a child's toy is destroyed, that's something that someone would hope to avoid. Yeah. I don't want to see that movie. And again, it's not just that these are all bad things. It's these things that are, are, these are non-starters. These are like, I will not stream that movie if the teddy bear gets it. I was, uh, I was at my house the other day and uh, a book fell off the shelf as they do sometimes. Because your house is haunted. Mm -hmm. Fell off the shelf onto my head. And it was uh, John Steinbeck's. The Red Pony. It's okay if it was Mein Kampf. You can. It was Mein Kampf. It falls off my shelf because I have it tied to my belt. Um, have you read The Red Pony? I've never read The Red Pony, although it, I love Steinbeck. It's a short book, 100 pages. And I said, oh, it's a book about a pony. Uh, Does the dog die, John? May, maybe my daughter would like it. So I sat down to read it. And I started reading it. And I read it um, between the hours of 1 and 4 in the morning. <laughs> and... Uh, the dog dies Spoilers. multiple times. In fact, there's... How can the dog die multiple times? Well, multiple... Is there, is there a Frankenstein element where the pony's owner keeps reviving him? It, is there one of these that says a horse dies? I guarantee there is. <laughs> because uh, uh, there are, there's more than one horse that dies. And in fact, I think every horse that you are... Yes, a horse dies. Here it is. Right here. Um, horse deaths are implied... Or off screen. That's for a higher level of uh, yeah. equine mortality sensitivity or EMS. Anyway, it's a, uh, it's, it was definitely, by the time I got to the end of the book, I was like, wow, that is not a book for a horse-loving person. Well, I would not have thought that Omnibus dips too often into the world of animal cruelty because we, we're against it. We're against it. And uh, it's just not usually uh, relevant to say uh, um, Danger Mouse's The Grey Album or The Yellow Pages. I wonder if Danger to a Mouse appears on this list. Oh, yeah. Right? Does the mouse die.com. 
Um, but yeah, there is actually uh, some just terrible treatment of animals by the ancient Romans. And if it gives you any pleasure to listen to this, knowing that the Romans are now conquered and extinct and had their comeuppance, that's <laughs> great. Lol. But maybe we should have a bell that we ring when something bad is going to happen. What if we have like a, a, a bull ring trumpet, hmm. a mournful trumpet solo that we play before something bad happens to animals? Like, uh, you know, if you're Ernest Hemingway, you're about to love this part. If you're any other human being, you may want to skip 10 seconds. Every time a bell rings, a rhinoceros gets its wings. A rhinoceros gets its comeuppance. Um, so, as I said, you know, the well back to classical times, Europeans were aware that exotic and, uh, to them, strange animals lived in the continent to the south of them. And exotic and strange to me, even now. Rhinoceroses uh, were one of them. They were especially interested in, in legends and, and accounts of the rhinoceros because the word they would have used, monoceros, you know, we say rhinoceros, nose horn. They often would have said monoceros, one horn. It was the same word they used for unicorn. Unicorn. I mean, I think monoceros would be, well, that's Greek and unicorn is Latin, maybe? Vice versa? No, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the myths about, you know, a beautiful uh, a horse with, with a single horn and all the, uh, you know, the way it... Uh, interacts with virgins and maidens or the the kind of uh, bounties it provides or the magic it uh, contains would have been conflated with their knowledge of the African or Indian rhinoceros, which today seems funny to us because what animals could be more different? So the pretty horse with a, with a, a spiral corn. Friendship is magic. Is, uh, it predates the rhinoceros. It's some kind of Evolutionarily? Thing. Well, no, like people in ancient times, for whatever reason, weren't satisfied with the horse. They had to put a, an ice cream cone on it. You don't see that in, there's no like unicorn cat. A cat with one horn? Yeah. Why, why a horse has no other horn. There are lots yeah. of horned animals. Every hornless animal could have a horn at it. Yeah. A sloth could be a unicorn. That's right. Um, I wonder if our, you know, our idea of a unicorn is actually a, just a game of telephone version of an actual one-horned rhinoceros. Right. Um, or other kinds of weird megafauna because there were, you know, that would have been in living, I mean, the aurochs was stomping around Europe until the 17th century. It didn't have a single horn, but there were big animals with weird horns wandering around that could have gone from history to legend, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there are no, there's no fossil evidence of a of a Northern European aminal that would have had a, a single horn, a single horn. No, that's true. But it could have come from, it's just interesting that dragons and unicorns seem to uh, appear throughout history, many different places. It is thought that drag, the dragon myth might've come from cultural memories of dinosaur bone discovery. Oh yeah. Or of having dinosaurs as pets and vacuum cleaners in your home. Sure. Of course. Uh, as we know happened. Um, and, uh, you know, Pliny in particular wrote about the Monoceros of Africa. He wrote about how they were the element, the uh, enemy of the elephant. The, ele- the, the two greatest animals of Africa, he wrote, were the elephant and the rhino, and they, they lived in a constant state of, of rivalry. I think you and I mentioned on Omnibus not long ago that you, you believed that our local zoo in Seattle still had elephants. And I was disappointed I had, to find that. I had to break the news to you that, um, yeah, some neighbors' coalition had, had drummed them out of town under the theory that maybe no zoo or no zoo with those um, with that acreage should have elephants. Yeah. What's interesting is that elephants of course are very sensitive, but, uh, the Woodland Park Zoo still has mountain gorillas 
you know, behind glass, including some that are like old and wise and uh, probably could build a house past Um, the GED. So, and they're pretty mad about being in there. I don't know the last time you saw them, but every time I've been going there since I was a kid and they have never once looked happy to see me. No, they don't seem happy. They don't remember me. Uh, Maybe they do remember me and that's why they're not happy. This kid, Uh, a rhino and an elephant are both herbivores. Yes. And they don't fight one another. They do not. Uh, as in, as with so many, I mean, there also weren't like animals with one big foot and a dog's head running around Africa, but plenty thought there were, um, one big foot and a dog's head. Yeah. He always had these, uh, he had these crazy menageries of like kind of chimerical animals that don't exist. But like one, it, it wasn't that it had one big foot and three small feet. It was, I think just, it's just one, on one, one foot, foot hopping around maybe. Yeah, okay. It's like a, it's maybe like, from the Beatles' Yellow Submarine movie or Lowly Worm. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's driving an apple car. I think. Um, so Europe was primed to be interested in all African animals, but rhinos in particular. And the first um, records of rhinos coming to Europe, sadly, were because Rome loved to bring animals in from the far corners of its vast empire in order to just murder them on mass. Sadly. They were not brought to fight one another in a in a in a circle, but but just to, to be, be killed to be fought by gladiators on sand. Uh, by AD three fifty four, there were one hundred and seventy six different game, days of games. Like almost every other day in the calendar had a games. The uh, other days were reserved for bread. Yeah, bread. Some days then circuses. Now most of these days were not gladiatorial combat. Fully one hundred and three of those were theater. Oh, Can you imagine yeah. a kid being like, we're going to the games? And then dad's like, I got tickets for Sophocles. Mm. 64, were, 64 days were chariot races. Only 10 of them were uh, either animal hunting or combat. Oh, um, but those, But those were the highlights. Yeah. Those were like the, and they were saved for like Saturnalia, you know, around the solstice. The gladiatorial games were obviously, I mean, it's just like today where, you know, you can go to, you can go to the arena in your town, any town, anytime if you want to see the Wiggles or an exhibit about dinosaur marionettes, but like 16 times a year, it's going to be an NFL game or eight times a year. It's going to be an NFL game. 30 times a year. It's going to be a hockey game or whatever. You know, those, the good ones are rare. Was the Coliseum used as a theater for, for uh, Sophocles? Yeah. The Coliseum or, or Flavian amphitheater, I think had drama performed. Wow. Um, but they're also, it was used for gladiatorial games when Titus, in 80 AD, when the Emperor Titus opened the Flavian Amphitheater, which we today call the Roman Colosseum, um, they actually went through 5,000 animals on the first day. And when I say went through, I guess I should play the bullring trumpet here because um, those animals were uh, killed. People, How many of people them came were to see them die. Raccoons or uh, like rock pigeons? There were zero raccoons. No North American animals were represented oh, right, for, uh, for obvious reasons. Right. <laughs> now, it's true that most of them were not big ticket animals. Like that, you know, when they say thousands of animals here, um, did they turn loose like 500 cats? It's like, it was mostly, it was a lot of deers and robux, oh, right. you know, and, uh, deers and robux, you know, where you used to buy, uh, you used to have the catalog, right? I did. <laughs> I'm wearing their jeans now. It was a, it was a way for, uh, Rome to brag about its far flung empire that they would get the, you know, the novels, you know, Britain was from Britain, deers and dogs would come. Right. Ibexes. From, from Gaul, you'd have bears and wolves because there were still bears in continental Europe from Egypt, hippos and rhinos and crocodiles. I mean, the great prestige would be from having big um, cats, yeah. you know, lions and tigers and whatnot. Many, you know, there's a whole, 
when you think about this, when you're going through 5,000 animals a day because of the awful bloodlust of your spectators, it requires a ton of infrastructure to provide that many animals for all these big games. Because you have to keep feeding them right up until the end. You have to, you have to um, tra- trap them somewhere. You have to bring them to Rome. You have to keep feeding them, although I think they did not you know, they didn't take super amount, great amount of care in feeding them because, you know, a, a, an unhealthy animal wouldn't put up much of a fight. And that was great because you're mowing through thousands of them. But, um, I mean, when you think about those quantities, the London Zoo, this is a comparison I saw in a, a Jerry Toner book called The Day Commodus Killed the Rhino. The London Zoo has 19,000 animals, but most of them are like salamanders. Right. Like 18,800 of them are salamanders, basically. Right. They have 200 mammals. Really? The yes. rest are just rats and no, rock pigeons? No, rats don't even count. Rats are mammals. The rest are oh, like, I see. Sure. The rest are, are. Yeah, the rest are birds and, and koi and, uh, and mostly salamanders. Yeah, I get it. So, you know, even the London Zoo, the world's biggest zoo, is taking care of 200 mammals, whereas these gladiatorial games had to have behind them an infrastructure that could really... Uh, in the year 100 AD, when Trajan was celebrating his victory in the Dacian Wars, 11,000 animals were hunted in this, in in the in his celebratory games. How many were salamanders? No salamanders. And this is happening at a time all these animals have to be trapped and brought in a time without tranquilizer darts. You know they have to be, right. and they have to be taken alive. You know we've done shows about a time when the definition of conservation was mostly. A museum will want this big moose, said Teddy Roosevelt. But here you weren't even, here you had to bring everything back caged. Luckily, you probably had a lot of local talent that you didn't care if got clawed to death in a lot of these hunts, I assume. Well, what if you just uh, rode the animals back? <laughs> That's what they would do. They would <laughs> put, have to, put on a tiger saddle. It was hard because like one of these games, there's like a thousand ostriches. When, when, you, read the, when you read the extant descriptions of these games... Um, they, they're written by eyewitnesses and even they are like, this is insane. He just beheaded all these ostriches and held up the heads to the Senate to be like, you're next. Like there's all this kind of Trump level, um, strongman political theater. I mean, that's actually, it's actually more than Trump. I don't think he ever cut the head off a single ostrich. Well, and think about what that's saying to the Senate. Not only are you next, but you're a bunch of ostriches. I didn't even pick one of the cool animals to behead. Yeah. You're not like a tiger. This says here that. Hannibal crossed the Alps with thirty-seven or thirty-eight elephants. But if he had brought in, if he had brought like another five thousand small deer, right? Then you got a game. Can you imagine if Hannibal crossed the Alps with five thousand ostriches? <laughs> Is he, he, that would also be a story. He would have to be driving them ahead of him. Yeah, right. Or just like intermingled with his troops. Like, <laughs> but for every two troops, there's an yeah, ostrich. Yeah. <laughs> But some of these games would have just remarkable spectacle regarding the animals. You know, much of it bloody. I mentioned the, mm-hmm. the sad ostrich beheading. But in, uh, I think one of the, one historian mentions a game in a games in AD two hundred two where the crowd is amazed to see the lights come up on a giant boat the in the center of the arena. Yeah, well, fire, right? Uh, in the center of the arena, a giant boat, only to see the boat come apart. It, it turns out to be like a. A, a, a canvas contraption that is hiding 700 animals and suddenly tigers and elephants and and deer and all the rest are just running around the arena but they weren't even referencing noah's ark no they wouldn't have had well they could have had noah's ark i guess so 
I mean, the, the advent of Christianity is an interesting part of the games. It was not common, actually, to throw Christians to the lions, but the new, the, the post-Constantine idea when, when, that— When you say not common, how many times did they throw I mean, the Christians to the lions? more than you want to if you're a Christian, mm-hmm. but it was, uh, it was the exception and not the rule. It's, okay. a, it's a handful of oddities. It wasn't like, oh boy, I hope they do the Christians again this year, Dad. <laughs> But like in post-Constantine Rome, there was a real desire to make these spectacles of the past seem, um, I mean, they were obviously cruel to animals, but to make them seem debauched and unholy. And so the accounts we get of them are really, really kind of amp up that decadent uh, and, and evil atmosphere, which is why there's all these stories of humans being martyred, you know, prisoners being martyred, which was not common, in fact. Um, but rhinos were present at a bunch of these games, including the Titus opening the amphitheater and uh, Trajan uh, celebrating his victory over the Dacians. And in fact, these are the first accounts we have of rhino in Europe is in Rome. gladiators hunting them in a Roman amphitheater. And when I say hunt, you know, these are kind of turkey shoots, you know, these are not, you know, there's, the animal has to be either in a net or the... The gladiator has to be above them or something. It's not a fair fight. They have bad eyesight, right? Rhinos? I think so. Or gladiators? Uh, well, if you had bad eyesight as a gladiator, you wouldn't. There'd be no like contact lenses. That's I think, true. I think it would probably preclude you being a, a, an effective gladiator. Is it like being a fighter pilot? Yeah. I mean, if a rhino's coming at you, you don't want to have double vision. I mean, either way, I don't want to have double vision. But it does become more urgent if a rhino is charging at me when you were living in spain as you famously did did you ever go to a a bullfight i went once because you know you were it kind of felt like a a cultural rite of passage and i was not prepared for what i was going to see i hated it i didn't i had seen bugs bunny cartoons so i thought i knew what a bullfight was but no it turns out there's a series of rounds in which the bull gets tortured and weakened before the guy with the sword comes out and then, and then it happens again. Yeah. Then they, and then again. Because there's three matadors and three bulls. It's, you know, it's a full night of entertainment. Have you been to a bullfight as well or not? I had the exact same experience. I went to the bullfight having, uh, having read The Sun Also Rises uh, uh, enough times and feeling like... See, you had Hemingway, I had Bugs Bunny. I was like, well, and I also had Bugs Bunny. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And the full arena and... And it does have great music and a, and a fun festival vibe until the super fun, but until the animal torture the begins. Bloodlust! I had I had never seen anything like it, and I was just appalled, and did not ever want to go again. And wh- when I was invited subsequently, I was like, "No, no, I don't want to go to your weird thing." I mean, it really is the moment when it, it caused me to look hard at my culture and think, "What are my blind spots where I give something a pass?" Because, well, of course. Of course, we're just going to slash at this bull for an hour yeah. from horseback. You Yours know? was, you know, 10 songs per record of whiny boy whinging <laughs> record after record after record, year after year. Ken, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. I didn't ask, but you know what? Now that you say that, I'm delighted to hear it. Well, what I want for you is that you stand out with a beautiful website. Is, I, is that what you most want for me? Well, no. I also want you to engage with your audience. Thank you for having this vision board. Yeah. And furthermore, I want you to be able to sell anything. 
I kind of want that too. Yeah. Like I want to be able to sell, what's the racist thing used to people used to say? He could sell sand in the Sahara. Oh yeah. Was that racist? I guess. Against, I don't know what, and, Saharans? If you, if it, well, you, it makes, it makes whatever the group is sound gullible oh, because they're buying something they don't need. He could sell ice to an Inuit. But it, but it, the point is to make the seller seem like the ultra ultra seller. He could sell. He could sell. He could sell. I don't know what he could sell. It has to be something they have too much of. He could sell fir trees in Seattle. Good one, right? That, yeah, that'll catch on. <laughs> he could sell Priuses in Seattle. Here's what I want you to be able to sell: your products, mm-hmm. your content. Mm-hmm. Even your time. Wait, how does Squarespace make it so I can sell time and content? Well, let me explain. Squarespace has best-in-class templates, and they keep adding more. Now you can browse the category of your business and find the perfect starting place, and then customize the templates to fit your needs. But what about selling my time? Like, do they have ways that I could like schedule appointments for my clients? What would what would that even look like? They, I, they, I refuse to believe it. They sure do. Now let me explain. What? Let's assume. Let's think. I mean, you've been getting more and more in shape all the time. You're very fit now. Do you think I should become a, like a teach a yoga class or a boot camp every let, morning at five a.m.? Let's say you wanted to teach Ken Jennings boot camp. Yes, every morning at five in Green Lake Park. Well, guess what? You can add online booking and scheduling to your Squarespace account. It's just built in. They've got it all ready to go. Mm-hmm. Clients can it. see your availability like, hey, I want to join Ken's boot camp, but I can only do it Tuesdays and Fridays. And can reschedule in the event that they have a funeral to go to and have to miss a class. I'm sold on Squarespace.com. Where would I go if I wanted to set up a website? John? Here's what you do, Ken. You go to Squarespace.com slash Omnibus and get a free trial. Free? Yeah. And then when you're ready to launch, you use the offer code OMNIBUS to save 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. That's easy to remember. Squarespace.com slash OMNIBUS will get me a free trial. And then when I'm ready to launch, I just use offer code OMNIBUS and my first purchase of a website or domain will be 10% off. That's right. Thank you, Squarespace. Thanks, Squarespace. In the famous uh, mosaic now called The Great Hunt in the Piazza Amarini outside of Rome, we see um, it's a, it's a kind of dr- dramatizes the collection of these menageries. We see animals being brought from all over the empire in various kinds of harnesses and nets. And there's, key- there's a rhino there. There's keepers with ropes um, holding a rhino. They would be loaded onto into dark cages, you know, in hopes of keeping them placid, and then loaded onto ships and... Some of those ships would make it to Europe, and some of the animals would survive the voyage. And mm-hmm. uh, we have the first record—the first record we have of a of a um, of a rhino being brought to Europe is actually before either Titus or Trajan's games. It's uh, Pompey. Oh, actually, I don't know if there's—I don't know if we know about a rhino in those in those uh, AD games, but we know that Pompey did bring. Uh, you know, Caesar's rival Pompey brought a rhino to some games that he held in 55 BC. What's not clear in this and many of these other cases is what kind of rhino, because... Sure, there are a few kinds. Northern India has these uh, two-horned rhinos. But um, how much easier would it be to to trot one all the way from Northern India compared to... At least in Africa, you could presumably put it on a boat. Yeah, and in Africa, actually, the ranges back then, they were actually, you know, north of the Sahara in the savannah areas in Morocco and Algeria, kind of north of the Sahara, they were actually white rhinos back then. Oh. So it seems much more likely that in many of these games, 
Um, it's an African rhino being put on a boat, although you could get the ones from India without a voyage at all, but it's a long walk. They had a wider range as well. They, today they're only in a few scattered spots in, um, in Nepal and, uh, Assam. But at the time, pretty much that whole Ganges plain in what is today Pakistan, all the way past Bangladesh, you know, almost to the Burmese border, um, Rhinoceros is grazed in the plains. The uh, so apparently there were elephants in the Atlas Mountains. There were elephants in the Atlas Mountains. Yeah, but they were little, like not little, but they were only eight feet tall instead of whatever you know. Normal elephant is forty-two feet tall. There were little rhinos in Indonesia. Were there really? Yeah, there were little miniature rhinos running around Java and Sumatra. Huh. I mean, I don't know how little. I don't know if they were cute. It feels like the little rhinos of Indonesia is is a, an art house film. And oh, how they dance, <laughs> the little rhinos of Indonesia. Um, Augustus in 29 BC, opening his new temple to Julius Caesar, brought... Which we talked uh, about just recently. Yeah, in a, in a recent show, just two weeks ago, uh, there was a rhino at those games. No, no, Titus did have a rhino at his games, because this is the one that there's a, a detailed account of. The crowd gapes because they've never seen anything, this tank-like creature. And then that quickly goes to boredom because the rhino doesn't want to do anything. Right. And this being a time when nobody cares about the rhino's emotions, because, again, he's about to be slaughtered, they start cruelly goading and whipping it. And finally, the rhino has had enough and just charges. And the crowd goes from, uh, you know, they're, they're about to head out to the popcorn stand, and suddenly... This rhino just charges at a bull and just like knocks it in the air like it weighs nothing. Yeah. And uh, go rhino. They got their money's worth that day. Well, I don't know. Are we allowed to be for this? A bull got hurt. Yeah, right. We were just a second ago bemoaning hurt bulls. But it's okay when a rhino does it. It's um, one of those like, which is the rarer? You always root for the rare one, right? That's true. Rome's full of bulls. Yeah. Not a lot of rhinos. Um, but they were, you know, it happened. So every generation or so, a rhino came in and maybe you remembered your grandpa talking about that time Pompey brought the rhino. Um, and they were very popular, you know, they were huge, they're, they're hard to kill, you know, of all the animals that gladiators could fight. This one had like fight, you know, could murder. These had like two inch thick skin, you know, a rhino is almost, you know, even for spears and bows and arrows, it's, it's nearly impenetrable. How big is a rhino? Picturing like a so I have been to see the at the what was the elephant enclosure at Woodland Park Zoo. They now have a couple rhinos, I believe, Indian, and a rhino weighs like at the shoulder. A rhino is like as tall as a person, five mm-hmm. or six feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, picturing like a small car. Mm-hmm. They can weigh over three tons. Uh, so, you know, next to an elephant, they're going to look dwarfed and this crowd might've seen elephants before, but you know, they weigh what a, what a Toyota Corolla does. Well, it's funny when, when people are describing how big an animal is, they often will say it weighs X <laughs> but beyond, beyond about 300 pounds. I can't tell the difference between a thing that weighs a ton and five tons. So it just seems like, Oh, five tons. Wow. I don't know what that is. When I was a kid and I was reading Marvel comics, they would always tell you that, you know, Thor can lift 70 pounds and uh, who else? The Hulk can lift 100 pounds, or sorry, 75 tons and the Hulk can lift 100 tons. 
And it was not clear to me at all what that mattered. Yeah, right. The most famous games by far at which a Rhino appeared um, happened in 192 AD. The Emperor Commodus held a 14-day spectacle with thousands and thousands of animals. And what was novel about this is for the first time, the emperor himself was in the ring with, mm. with spear and javelin and bow and arrow. Whoa. Now, so Joaquin Phoenix got down there. So Commodus probably best remembered today for being the, the nutty, out-of-control, debauched emperor in the movie Gladiator, was in fact at least in the last couple of years of his life, a nutty, out-of-control, debauched emperor. Awesome. And it's hard to know, you know, we have all these lurid accounts of his, you know, from, from his youth on of just being terrible. Um, there's a story about him going into the baths one day as a, as a young teen or preteen, finding that the water is not as warm as he would like, and ordering the keeper of the baths tossed into the furnace to help warm it up. Well, that seems uncool. It's really, what a Karen, am I right? That's right, super drag. Can I speak to the manager? Into the furnace. Uh, According to the story, uh, a wily serpent tossed a sheepskin into the furnace. A serpent did? A wily servant. Oh, a servant. A wily serpent could have. Uh I mean, all serpents are wily. That's that's, uh, redundant. A wily servant ordered a sheepskin thrown into the fire instead, saving the life of the bathskeeper because Commodus could then smell, young Commodus could smell the burning flesh and think, ha ha, now it's getting warm. That guy won't make that mistake again. I guess it relies on you not running into that guy. Exactly. The next time like you're in the, the baths. supermarket. Didn't I throw you into the furnace? Um, should we have a, should we have a, a beeping sound or something when a bathskeeper gets thrown into the furnace? I mean, some of us. That does, really... does the bathskeeper die? That really prize uh, sheepskins might say, please don't throw a sheepskin into a furnace without at least telling me in advance. But all these lurid accounts are written after his life in a time when, you know, successors may, first of all, you may want um, crazy exaggerated stories to help sell copies of your book, or, you know, it may please the current powers that be to make the old guys look out, look out, uh, you know, make out to be, um, you know, Caligula or Nero level lunatics mm-hmm. um commodus did share a birthday with caligula and was apparently very sensitive about it oh well that's because weird you think you'd be proud yeah i think caligula had such a bad rep at the time right that um it was bad association it's like being born on hitler's birthday mm-hmm. and he did okay. and he did not so i guess he uh, he uh, would order people executed even for having um you know any mention of caligula in writing if you were seen reading anything that had caligula mentioned you could get tossed in a furnace. It really seems like he's a guy to just avoid, <laughs> right? Like, see Commodus coming, turn the corner. There's really nothing you could say in that interaction. It's not going to turn out well. It's like the Monty Python sketch where the guy has to say spurge or whatever. <laughs> um, so he, the funny thing is that he was this, and this was often commented on by historians, he was the son of Marcus, Marcus Aurelius. Right. Not just a military hero, but a... One of the great minds. Yes, a stern and stoic writer and thinker, um, you know, famous for his moral and uh, intellectual discipline. Not the kind of guy you would expect to have such a wastrel son. Not the kind of guy you would think would be played by Richard Harris. <laughs> but in fact, yeah, exactly. Not exactly the most stoic of leading men. <laughs> but Richard Harris did outlive Oliver Reed making that movie when it comes to 60s drunks. True. 
Um, uh, so, you know, it's a tale as old as time, though, that that kind of a dad, that kind of a disapproving dad has some son that goes totally off the rails. Right. And that is what happened here. Commodus was, in fact, in the history of Rome, the first ever emperor born to a sitting emperor. It had that never, can't be. It had never happened before. Uh, he came from a line of five. And I guess it, it, in every other case, the previous emperor had been born before his dad was on the throne. Is there a child that's been born in the White House? This is a Jeopardy question. Yes. Who? What president had a kid in the White House? If you don't count Jackie's uh, tragic stillbirth, right? Um, she would be. She would have been the last pregnant first lady. Um, I think it might be Cleveland's daughter Ruth. That might be the last White House birth. Because if you'll recall, Cleveland was a creep who always joked about his friend's hot daughter. Can't wait till she's old enough. And then his friend's daughter turned 19 and they were quickly married in the White House. Which, you know, if you're the president, they let you get away with that. Back then. Back then. And maybe now. Um, the So Commodus was, you know, had kind of a unique uh, stature of being born to royalty. but um, But he also... He made a lot of enemies in his time. His biographer, Dio Cassius, was actually present at these games in which he fought the rhino. And, uh, you know, he, uh, but uh, it's clear that in, he's writing in hindsight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he talks about the things that Commodus did to annoy powerful groups. You know, he annoyed the Senate by ending his father's wars with the tribes north of the Danube. You know, he just kind of sued for peace and ended these costly wars, which might have been good foreign policy, but again, annoyed the Senate. Then he it was a real populist who taxed the wealthy, and he didn't just throw these astounding parties for the common man, but he also redistributed wealth to them. Further annoying the Senate. Further annoying, yeah. Now, now annoying not just the, the, the elected people, but the wealthy people, which there's a lot of overlap. But in the last two years of his life, he seems to have gone somewhat off the rails. He started to, he started to um, mint coins with himself um, identified with the demigod Hercules, and in fact started carrying around a club and wearing a lion skin to functions. Oh, that seems weird. Even by the standards of a depraved Roman emperor. Yeah, you don't imagine somebody wearing a carrying a Hercules-like club to a party. Was he a buff dude? I think so. You know, we have accounts of him preparing for his this great hunt, and uh, apparently he uh, he worked out. He had Persian elite Persian bowmen and Moroccan javelin hunters brought to his Roman villa where they taught him their arts. And, you know, obviously these writers have a responsibility to butter up the guy in power, but all the accounts say that he just never missed. That's cool. He sounds like a cool bro. 100% accuracy. He's not a cool bro. John. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, 100% accuracy. That seems a little inflated. Yeah, this you're getting into Kim uh, Jong-il hole-in-one territory here. On the first day of his... Um, on the first day of these these fourteen day games, in which it's been announced that he himself is going to slaughter all the animals, he actually does not fight in the sand as a gladiator might. He's up on a big catwalk above the floor of the amphitheater. Oh, that's lame. The animals are below him, kind of divide in little cells that kind of divide them into small herds, so the crowd can just kind of walk him, watch him walk by on the catwalk, throwing javelins and shooting arrows 
really at point blank range. Even when he's not on the cowlick, even when he's at animal level, they're just being brought to him and he's walking right up next to them and then firing an arrow. Um, or they're, they've been placed in nets for him to, but he's going through them at great speed. Um, you know, he, sh- he shows up on the first day wearing, you know, this amazing spectacle of these things. He's wearing these purple robes with gold stars. He's got his, his Hercules club and lion skin. He takes all that off to dress himself as Mercury. At the time, a lot of gladiators would identify them, shave their heads to match the look of Isis, um, in honor of her, or they would match Mercury's look because he was speedy, I mm-hmm, guess, mm-hmm. which is a valuable trait when you're fighting tigers and whatnot. Even on a catwalk. Um, but one of these accounts, you know, of these turkey, you know, on day one, he just kills a hundred bears. Kills a hundred bears. Now that's a terrible thing from an animal rights perspective, but you know, you got to admire his showmanship. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. It's just shooting, shooting a hundred bears in a barrel, shooting bears in official (laughs) shooting bears by an official. There it is. Even, uh, your post-Soviet states, you never saw, I bet you never saw a hundred bears killed by one guy. Not a hundred bears. No. Um, there's one story from this, you know, he's, uh, he wants to kill, he's bragged that he's going to kill a tiger, an elephant, a hippo, and a giraffe. He does it all. Um, one story has a hundred lions emerging at one point into the ring through a trap door. He throws, uh, one javelin and it kills all 100 lions. No, he throws 100 javelins in an orderly fashion and the lions are laid down in rows neat enough so that the people in the stands can count and see that it actually was a hundred. Now, again, these are stories that have been exaggerated to flatter the um, power crazed Roman emperor, but it's the kind of story you could tell, you know, it's based on some germ of truth of his amazing prowess against a hundred lions. I don't know that much about lions, but I imagine if you had 100 lions all in the same under the Colosseum cage, that they would start to fight one another, they don't seem like they would recognize that they were all like bros and about to go face a single enemy. I wonder if they've just been emaciated into compliance, like they're so starved they're not fighting each other or really jumping at old Commodus with his quiver of 100 javelins. Maybe they were... They had been given milk of the poppy by some, one of Circe's maesters. It's possible. You know, I would imagine you want to, you want to thread some needle between entertaining the crowd and not, I mean, in this case, especially, it's not just one of your best gladiators is going to go. It's, it's actually Emperor Commodus himself. How many lions do you think were really there? You think this is a story about him taking out four lions and the crowd clapping and it becomes... 10 by 10 grid instead of a two by two grid. I just feel like 100. No 20. Maybe the highlight of the games is him, uh, killing a rhino. But again, it's, you know, that's hard to do. The highlight of the games isn't killing 100 lions. These, these games are so good that 100 bears is day one. Wow. Um, but one rhino is the, is the grand finale. By the way, Toner's book that I read is a very interesting take on how, you know, we tend to, we also see the games through this post-Christian lens of, uh, you know, look at this awful kind of bread and circuses spectacle that was required to, you know, cow the population into um, servitude. But in fact, you know, the games were very complex and served to really emphasize, they brought the country together by emphasizing 
what Rome felt were its inherent values, you know, its virtue, its loyalty, um, you know, the, the, the power and the reach of its empire, its bravery, you know, people were kind of watching a, a society building, community building spectacle. I don't want to have a warm and fuzzy take on some dude killing a hundred bears in five minutes. This was but. all about community, man. <laughs> if you, if you weren't there, you don't know. You yeah. just don't know what the circus was like. Yeah. But after that, Europe was rhino free. Oh, he got, rid, he got rid of the, uh, the pestilence of rhinos. <laughs> yeah. What a hero. <laughs> uh, this rhino repellent sure works. I mean, for a, for a few centuries, a rhino would show up every 50 to 100 years. It would quickly die, and then Europe would once again be rhino-free. Right. And after the Roman Empire falls and the games are replaced by Christianity, once praying replaces killing bears, how about that, uh, anti-religionists? Think about how many bears were saved. Yeah. How do you answer that, atheists on Reddit? <laughs> Finally, about uh, 1,400 years later, rhinos return to Europe. Nature is healing. But this time as tourists. This time as tourists. That's actually not incorrect. Um, the practice of giving exotic animal pets to potentates continued, and it extended into the age of imperialism and colonization. You know, the Portuguese got to India where, again, rhinos were thick on the ground compared to today. And a sultan in what is today Gujarat, um, this, this uh, Gujarati uh, pundit or uh, uh, whatever it would be. Um, what's, a good, what's a good word? Mughal. Mughal, exactly. Um, gives to no less than uh, Afonso de Albuquerque, the Portuguese governor of India, I think for whom the New Mexico City is now named, even though I don't think he ever made it out there. I don't think he did, but... Correct us in the comments if we're wrong. I don't think Cincinnati ever made it to Cincinnati. <laughs> I know George Washington was never in Seattle. Uh, and uh, so he gifts a rhino to the Portuguese governor general of India. Um, this rhino is sent to King Manuel I of Portugal all the way to Europe and arrives safely. His name is Ulysses, by the way. That's, nice. what, that's what I think Albuquerque has named him. Is this the, the, his brave tale? That's right. Or the, the tale of him being brave? I sing of uh, horns and of the man. Manuel I, being a right-thinking 16th century king, decides he's going to give that rhino to who else? Pope Leo X. Oh, wow. This rhino's making the rounds. What do you give the guy? He's being regifted. <laughs> this is like you getting omnibus stuff to your daughter on, or to your family on Christmas morning. What do you give the Pope that has everything? He did not have a rhino. So the so back to Rome, though. Yeah, the right. So again, Rome, uh, the place where all rhinos go to die, and it turns out the curse holds in a oh. shipwreck off the Italian coast. Um, the boat sinks. The rhino has been tied up and is unable to swim to safety. Now, in some accounts, the rhino is actually stuffed and lives a happy life in the Vatican as a uh, stuffed rhino. But modern historians are skeptical, just because what we know about 16th century taxidermy makes it extremely unlikely that any actual good, uh, you know, pr preservation of a shipwrecked rhino could have happened. Maybe the shipwrecked rhino was featured in the Vatican for two weeks before becoming intolerably... Uh, I, mean, I mean, you have to remember how bad things would have smelled in a palace back then anyway. Yeah, that's true. So you could have a rotting rhino for quite a while before anybody is like, that's not, that's not breakfast, is it? No. Um... 
But during this brief time, either, you know, when he was being gawked at in Lisbon or when possibly he was mounted uh, in the Pope's presence. And, you know, back then a lot of people got mounted in the Pope's presence. I'll tell you what. Um, A written description was made, which made its way to none other than Albrecht Dürer. Sure. The great Northern European artist and engraver. Who had never seen an, uh, a rhino in person. Well, here's the thing. You, you got a whole continent full of people who had never seen a rhino in person. Now, Durer is best known probably for his engravings of Adam and Eve, or especially the praying hands. Can you picture this? Uh, sure, I know them well. That classic Durer work. I go to a lot of Mennonite homes. <laughs> they always have that mm-hmm. uh, picture. Did uh, Are you aware that one of Durer's most... Famous and highly sought after works by collectors is his engraving of a rhinoceros. Is this, is this new to you? When you say highly sought after, are like um, are there are very collectors few, fighting over this one, or are there well, multiples of it? There are very few impressions of the original. You know, the the first edition impressions are. You know, he was a printmaker, so a bunch of prints could have been made, but so few survive that um, one went at auction recently for like eight hundred and sixty thousand dollars, the most ever paid for a Durer. Of any description, I'm looking at uh, at his rhinoceros right now, and it, it considering he never saw one in person, pretty good see, rendition of a rhinoceros. See, that's my takeaway. This is often used as a story of um, the crazy game of telephone that in, that leads to this bizarre chimera that he draws. But it's actually, I think, a pretty decent rhinoceros, given it that he, he couldn't have seen the proportions. No, it looks it's recognizably a rhinoceros. It doesn't have any tentacles. It's it's a fanciful rhinoceros. He has upgraded the rhinoceros quite a bit. If you'll notice, um, there have been accounts of uh, its thick skin, which here have be- seemed to have become armor. Armored plates. It's literally yeah. got a breastplate. It's got a gorget or a throat protector. You can see what seem to be rivets, which mm-hmm. very few animals, mm-hmm. in my uh, understanding, actually have. Chain mail. There's all these little kind of horned things on its back that yeah. animals don't. And yeah, and then its legs are scaled. Yeah. Either as if it's wearing chain mail on its lower body or it's some kind of a... Uh, a lizard or something. He looks kind of like an anteater in the face and they wouldn't have had anteaters either, would they? Maybe that was among the 5,000 animals that were killed. They brought anteaters. He's certainly more likely to have seen a picture of an anteater than a rhino. Right. I guess. Um, it's possible that what the, uh, you know, the, the seams and the rivets in the armor are a, um, a misinterpretation of seeing what, what are the folds in the skin of an Indian rhino at a distance. You might think that the the folds in its skin, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm getting to an age where you know I have enough, I have enough folds in me that if you saw me uh, at the beach, you might. I don't think, know if you'd think you were armored. You, yeah, no, it's it's quite the opposite. Why is that man carrying milk bags all over his? <laughs> well, you know, even Kipling uh, had a hard time describing a rhino. Are you talking about the just so story? I sure am. Well, that's a story. In that story, he also has. Uh, oh, I guess Kipling mostly is interested in the texture yeah. of its coat. Which it, which it gets by scra- scratching, trying to scratch an itch. It takes off its bathing suit and gets enough sand in it that he's he's scratching his sandy swimsuit and it all gets stuck in there. And but I don't think that I mean the pe- the pebble texture of a rhino is maybe similar to a to a guy with a lot of sand in his jock. I don't know. I can see that. The thing is that Durer would not have seen a picture of a ant eater because ant eaters are a new world animal. And he did the rhino in 1505, so... Are all anteaters New World? I think. There's aardvarks in Africa, but no... No anteaters. No anteaters, huh? Maybe aardvark is what it looks more like. 
It's also possible, and this is one historical theory, that there actually were accounts or maybe even uh, illustrations of that Ulysses had had some kind of armor placed on him oh. uh, to make him a better show. Um, and, you know what's hilarious? And that could be what Dur is depicting. What's hilarious? An aardvark. Have you looked at an aardvark lately? <laughs> They're pretty good. They are hilarious. What's the funniest animal? Platypus. <laughs> I mean, a platypus is really the only animal that people, leg- scientists legit thought was a prank. Yeah. Like, nope. <laughs> nice try, Bob. <laughs> the funny thing about Durer's rhino is because of the relative dearth of rhinoceroses in Europe, which again, we've commented on, this became the standard depiction of rhinoceros in the West for 250 years. Whoa. Um, Alessandro de' Medici decided to put a rhinoceros in his family emblem as a sign of his, you know, strength and resilience. And so he's got an armored Durer fanciful rhinoceros in his emblem. Um, similar, the, ob- the obelisk in front of Paris's Church of the Sepulchre, which was built, I think, sometime in the 17th century, has an armored rhinoceros in front of it. You have to wonder why people, they were still fascinated with, yeah. with it as a, it's, you know, it's mentioned in the Bible. And I wonder if that leads to some of its post-Christian um, popularity. It's used as an example of a of a big, scary, exotic thing. Well, I think there's there's probably a built-in desire and hope that you could find a war animal. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the horse is amazing for a lot of things. Um, including but, battle. but Including battle. But if you had a armored... Right tank of an animal with a giant horn on its head is alessandro de medici just be like i'd be riding this into battle yeah i would think that 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 they would that these kings would have sent many many um zoologists budding zoologists out trying to get like hey can we get 50 of these we'd be unstoppable and they're not wrong except you know they're very difficult to train right i'm sure the u.s army has tried multiple times um Similarly, you can go to the Pisa Cathedral and see the west doors have a bronze rhinoceros on them. And again, it's Durer's crazy one with rivets. They appeared in textbooks well into the 20th century, with the result that a young Salvador Dali grew up thinking that rhinoceroses had breastplates and rivets and incorporated them into some of his surrealist really? canvases. Yeah, so um, it's kind of funny. This, uh, inten- this uh, attempt at realism in art turns out to be so wacky that it becomes the basis for a lot of 20th century surrealism. Now, what ended the reign of Durer's rhinoceros was Miss Clara. In the year 1741, another rhino arrived in Europe, and this one did not get shipwrecked. Okay. This one survived to make the rounds. It took that many? It took 200 years to get another rhino? Yeah, for 200 years, Durer's... uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, there was no, there was no Amazon back then, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, in 1738, a Dutch East India Company officer adopted a baby rhino whose mother had been killed by hunters. Um, she was super tame and, you know, I'm sure he hand raised her and bottle fed her. And so she just kind of wandered around his estate as a pet And at some point, he sold her, gave her to a Dutch sea captain who brought her back to the Netherlands. And when she arrived in Rotterdam in 1741, she was an immediate sensation, by far the most popular and beloved rhinoceros of her time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Far outpacing 
the complete lack of rhinoceroses <laughs> that rivaled. She, she was both the most and least beloved rhinoceros in Europe. Um, she was immediately exhibited in the Low Countries and wowed crowds in Rotterdam and Antwerp and Brussels. And it was decided that she should be sent all over Europe. So she was put into a wooden carriage. I mean, she's, you know, she's quite tame. She's not traumatized by all this. She's put into a wooden carriage drawn by eight horses. The carriage has very small windows because we don't want paying cust- non-paying customers to get a glimpse. She's rubbed down with fish oil every day to keep her rhino leather nice and supple. And she, what she thought of that. goes, I bet she's into it. No? Fish oil? Mm, maybe. I don't know. She goes everywhere. She's taken all over Germany. The Holy Roman Emperor visits her. Uh, it, for 17 years, she tours Europe. And in fact, you know, she, she becomes a celebrity, an international celebrity. She goes to Italy. She finally makes it to, she finally survives a visit to Italy, unlike, you know, exercising a lot of rhino ghosts of the past. I think, uh, Rhinos become so popular that songs and poems are written about her. Women in France start to wear their wigs in rhino-like shapes. Oh, I've seen that. I'm I trying didn't to know imagine, what that was about. I assume it's I assume it's the horn. Yeah. I assume the wig is not the shape of a full rhinoceros body. Um but uh you know, she vis- she goes as far east as Bohemia and Poland and Scandinavia. Finally she comes back to London. Um, sadly, this is where she dies in April of 1758. Uh, and that's what sparked the American revolution. <laughs> yes. If, if not, a, a, a traumatized British population decides to raise the tax on tea and the rest is history. Uh, the French actually named a boat after her. I don't know if it was the Miss Clara. No, it was the rhinoceros. That makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so after, I guess you can see various phases of uh, of different levels of encounter here with with new science or culture. You know, first you kill it, sure, in small quantities to make sure you're not threatened on your catwalk. Then you paint it and exoticize it and get everything wrong about it, mm-hmm. and then finally you um, befriend it but still exploit it. I guess we don't get to a fourth stage where the rhinoceroses and the and the Europeans live in peace, but again, that hasn't happened with many of the other colonized nations either. Well, and I feel like once again, you've effectively described my relationship history, and that concludes rhinos in Europe. Entry one zero six nine dot jb three nine one zero, certificate number two seven nine eight three in the omnibus futurelings in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era use your prehensile rhino horn to tap out facebook twitter or instagram archives at omnibus project our handles were at ken jennings and at john roderick you can email us through a time portal at the omnibus project at gmail.com you have to provide the time portal we don't we don't maintain a wormhole. You can hang out with other futurelings, uh, other rhino-baiting futurelings, wherever you type in the word futureling. Follow where, where it guides you. 
You can, uh, and please do, support the show at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. There is almost no way Ken and I are going to be able to afford the white rhino that we hope to keep here as a pet in the bunker. I guess we should have talked more about modern rhino conservation efforts. Yeah. Or at least emphasized that we are against the poaching of rhino for Asian medicine. Yeah, apparently the rhino horn is uh, most popular in Vietnam. Is that true? Yeah. The funny thing is it's just keratin. Yeah. Like on a cellular level, it's it's basically like you're eating hair. There's nothing magical. Maybe about. what we should do is collect hair from barbershop floors. Pr- press it? Press it into rhino-shaped horns and then, you know, bootleg, sell them on the black market in, in Vietnam. Do we tell people it's not rhino horn? Profit. No, we don't tell them. There's a, I guess there's an uh, 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 initiative going on right now to inject rhino horns with, um, with dye and this formula they use to kill ticks, which is the rhinos don't mind, and the little birds that peck off the rhinos don't mind, and the vultures that eat the dead rhinos don't mind, but which is fairly toxic to humans. Oh, and so, it makes your rhino horn soup taste terrible. Yeah, I mean, it won't kill you, but it'll lead to all kinds of uh, uh, cramping and nausea and other ill effects. Um the, I like that idea. The criticism of is that it won't work because the person poaching the there's enough middlemen in this economy that the person poaching the rhino does not care if um, months later a Vietnamese man gets very angry at you. Yeah, it's kind of a it's more of a prank. <laughs> it's it's not, it's not a great prank. Classic prank. You don't get to enjoy it since it's happening to a wealthy Vietnamese man right. thousands of miles away from your village. Well, uh, Ken and I, as we work on our keratin. As we work on our uh, counterfeit keratin horn business, um, support our efforts at patreon.com slash omnibus. And you can mail us things to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Looks like you're working your way through the mailbag there. Yes, Sharon uh, sent you a daily box calendar. Just It says, this should make you really happy, John. It's called Pun Intended, and it has a different cute pun oh, no. every day of the year. What a terrible gag gift. This is a, this is a white elephant uh, Christmas I never signed on for. Here are some classic, uh, I don't know if this is a pun. I have two unwritten rules. One blank, two blank. Lol. Is, is that a pun? I don't, I don't think it's a pun. It relies but, on punctuation more than phonetics. But it's hilarious. My clothes are so wrinkly that people have started thinking that I'm iron deficient. Not maybe not a pun again. This one is a pun. It's the type of thing you would say. Though. Too many people are eating their salads plain. I feel like that needs to be addressed. Ugh. Addressed. Mm. So three hundred and sixty-two more. But you it's felt uh, you felt of the three examples they gave. Two were not puns at all, and one of them didn't barely met your muster. Well, addressed is not even a. I mean, they've just added a syllable to... I mean, maybe if it was Italian dressing, you could say addressed, then the uh is doing something, something racist against Italians. Hey. Um, thank you so much, uh, Sharon. I think maybe we should just keep this here and maybe read one occasionally. Yeah, we'll and just uh, hang it up here on the wall of the bunker. And annoy you. And then Celia, you were just asking me today where I do crosswords. Celia sent us some puzzles from Puzzled Pint. You solve a puzzle to find a bar each month, and then you try to... F- Wait, and then I guess you go to the bar and you have to solve all these puzzles? It's fun whether you drink or not. I mean, it's probably a lot easier if you don't. Yeah, that's what a lot of drinkers say, though. Hey, it's fun uh, whether you drink or not to sit around this dark bar until 
1 a.m. with a bunch of drunks. Here's my thing. I'm I'm having fun doing crossword puzzles whether I'm drunk or not. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure if the, the bar would help or not. I oh. prefer to do crossword puzzles in the bath. But Celia actually hosts uh, these such events in Detroit and says they uh, have them in Seattle. Okay. She finds all omnibus episodes interesting, so she doesn't seem very reliable. There's no way they're all interesting. Most are mostly interesting. Thank you so much, Joy. I'm actually going to do these puzzles. Uh, I'm not even going to let John have them. You can keep the, ca- hey. the pun calendar. Hey. I'll give you the word search. Hey. <laughs> hey. I don't, thing want, is, the, I don't want the word search. The thing is, you're going to start working on one. You're going to find it's ridiculously easy for you. And you're going to be like, oh, here, these are for kids. And you're going to hand it to me, and I'm going to work on it for three weeks. No, I like I like doing easy puzzles. Oh. Yes, I think this must... Well, no. Is this is this the same puzzle? Oh, no, it's a different one. She wrote her... Oh, no, it is the same puzzle. <laughs> oh, so we have two of the same one. Yes, you can do this one. I don't know if it's harder. It's puzzle, Dad. That's the one that she wrote the letter on the back of. Oh, you gave me the scrawled one. It's the rare autographed collector's edition. Hmm. Don't ask me in text speak. How many letters? Three? Uh, 66 across. Three. IDK. IDK. Okay. Right? Yeah. 67 across. Five letters. Pastry maker. Somebody right now is looking at the time left in this entry to see if it's like an hour. (laughs) Like, are they going to do the whole thing? (laughs) Pastry maker? How many letters? Five. Baker? I'm not actually sure. You're baker. There's other things it could be, maybe. Yeah. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We don't even know how long it's going to take John to do that puzzle. I have no idea how long this episode's going to go, because <laughs> we could still we could still blow it. What's, what's uh, <laughs> 12 across? We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come if the worst comes soon, though, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word to you. But if providence allows, we hope to return and be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.